Welcome back to 4 for 4's The Most Accurate Podcast. As always, I am your host, John Daigle, joined today by a very special friend in life, my former co-worker, and someone who showed me that jarred Manhattans exist in Manhattan, New York, none other than Pat Corain. Corain, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. It's like to be with you, Daigle. It is draft season. There is the Masters going on, of course, as Tiger tries to finish the opening round under par. There is opening day baseball, which I hear is something that exists. Nonetheless, it is draft season. We are only two weeks away from the NFL draft, and so it's important to keep in mind the prospects, the guys we are going to be drafting in Dynasty Leagues and discussing into the wee months of the summer. And that's why you're here, because right now you have an amazing series out on NBCSportsEdge.com with your wide receiver rankings, and I believe your running back rankings actually have started going up as well. And that's why I want to discuss your favorite players. And with that, we start at the top, because when you look at expert mock drafts, Drake London, Garrett Wilson, at times Chris Olave, even Jamison Williams are typically the first receivers listed. You, though, Karain, have Traylon Burks number one overall in your rankings. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on that particular spot. Yeah, I think from like, you know, this is for fantasy, right? We're trying to uh, we're trying to pick the guys that we think are going to have the most value in fantasy. And that isn't necessarily just mean the guys who are going to score the most fantasy points, but the guys who are going to when they hit when you leagues uh, just be worth a ton in dynasty. All of that ceiling really matters. Jalen Burks is a weird prospect. Uh, he's a slot receiver in college, but he's a big player. 6'2", 225. He's probably going to play on the outside. Uh, I think almost definitely will play on the outside. How that transition goes is a little bit up for debate. You know, uh, he was used a lot on screens, a lot on designed. Uh, he had a fair amount of behind the line of scrimmage targets, which, you know, basically rushes. He was not used downfield a ton, but when he was used downfield, hyper efficient, really flashed that skill set that, you're hoping he can basically become kind of an A.J. Brown-style guy where he's a downfield receiver who's delivering a ton of yards after catch. Uh, one of these big-body guys, kind of like a Des Bryant type. So as like an NFL team, I understand why there might be like some hesitation because Garrett Wilson's just a slam dunk. Garrett Wilson is going to come in and slot right into an NFL offense. Chris Olave is going to slot right into an NFL offense. And the fact that those guys – are almost definitely going to go ahead of Burks doesn't deter me from still really, really liking Burks because he's going to have very strong draft capital. He'll probably be selected in the late first round, maybe the early second round, but it's not like we're talking about a late second round, early third round pick. I mean, this guy is considered one of the top prospects in a strong class. He's just, it takes a little bit more projection, but when he is that guy, it's going to be awesome. I find your assessment of him being used as a boundary receiver in the NFL interesting, if only because the way I've been viewing it is that his Mickey Mouse usage from last year and seeing 25% of his targets on screens, also in playing 77% of his career snaps in college from the slot at Arkansas, I figured that's how NFL teams would view him, even though, as you mentioned, 6'2", 225, they should not. Also, the inexperience he has. Last year, I believe he only played nine snaps against press coverage. And I'm not saying he can't win at press coverage in the NFL, especially at that size, but it's unknown, right? Because we just didn't see it. And so would the landing spot in that case change anything for you? Or let's say he does get pigeonholed for whatever reason. They see his usage into the slot would that change anything for you? It would, yeah. I think he's one of the more landing spot dependent guys. I think Drake London is a bit landing spot dependent because he's also a little bit of an unusual prospect. Uh, he also had a lot of, uh, of usage right around the line of scrimmage, a ton of screen usage. Uh, so, you know, these guys like Burks and London who didn't see a ton of intermediate production, I do think they're a bit more landing spot dependent because how the team views them, you know, I, I think – Teams could could rightly view him as kind of more of a, a big Debo Samuel type or something. But I find that a little bit less appealing. I mean, A.J. Brown played primarily in the slot and then immediately as an outside wide receiver. But A.J. Brown was not used so much on screens and everything. So, I, you know, I get why people would be a little bit skeptical that Burks can make the transition. He was very, very efficient throughout 
uh, his college career, even though he was getting these uh, these designed targets, this designed usage, he was hyper efficient on it, and he was totally dominating the Arkansas offense. He had a 36% career yardage share, which is just off the charts, basically for any player. But he only played three years in college. He didn't play his senior year. He didn't do the Devonta uh, Devonta uh, Smith comeback for. You see, I'm thinking running backs. So I got Devonta Freeman head. Devonta Smith uh, win the Heisman senior year. He's he's skipping that. He's entering the NFL, entering you know in his fourth year since high school. Since 2007, he's one of only uh, seven three-year wide receivers to post a 35% plus career yardage share at 210 pounds. The other six are Calvin Johnson, Kenny Britt, Des Bryant, Alshon Jeffrey, Allen Robinson, and Amari Cooper. So just totally dominating the offense. Yes, some of the ways that he was doing it are not ideal. They were schemed. But he was really, really efficient on that schemed usage. So it's hard to really blame Arkansas. <laughs> they were trying to win games. He was helping them win games, even with usage that won't directly translate to the NFL. So it is a bit more of a, a swing for the fences guy as my wide receiver one. But I frankly think Drake London is a swing for the fences guy as well. Garrett Wilson, kind of more the safe play here. Well, let's get into those two because – they are the individuals commonly mocked to go as the first two receivers off the board inside the top 10. So I'm curious of your thoughts on both, and are there any red flags we should be aware of just in case, let's say, Drake Landon, London lands with a player like Zach Wilson or Garrett Wilson, like with the Falcons? Uh, what can go wrong, for instance, with both of these players? Yeah, so I mean, Garrett Wilson... Uh, Garrett, so Garrett Wilson's harder to see what can go wrong, frankly. I mean, he's he's a little light. That's basically his big biggest red flag. He's six foot, uh, 183 pounds. So, you know, in some ways, he, he kind of reminds me of like Sammy Watkins when I watch him. But but Watkins was six foot one to 11. He's not going to be that guy. He's more of like a taller Jalen Waddle. But Wilson had a four, three, eight, 40. So when you're sub four, four being 183 isn't really a red flag. It's just kind of a bit harder to see him becoming like a fantasy superstar. Maybe he's more like a Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller type of guys, like a fantasy player. But the thing is, he's he's only six pounds less than Calvin Ridley, and he's way more athletic. And I think he's going to be, you know, he could be a pretty similar kind of intermediate type of guy who could also be used downfield. So like more athletic Calvin Ridley sounds pretty awesome. Uh, so I, I don't really see it going like wrong for Garrett Wilson, but I guess, you know, if he's with, if he's in Washington or, or, you know, with the New York Jets, maybe it's not so fun year one. He did play primarily in the slot in 2020. And then from the boundary last year, would being pigeonholed, as you said, 183, yes, just four pounds lighter than Ridley, six pounds, but would being pigeonholed into slot at the next level at his next destination, would that be a con for you or would that not matter given his explosiveness? I wouldn't freak out about that because I think he could start in the slot and then move to more of like an every route type of role. Like he could do the Stefan Diggs thing where like he starts a little bit more in the slot or, you know, they, they thought Justin Jefferson was going to be a slot guy. And then they're like, Oh, he's, he's everything. Um, I, I guess he could end up being kind of more like a CD lamb where we're starting to think he really should be in the slot. And it's, and it's not so great if he's uh, on the outside, he's not going to be quite as effective there. Uh, that would certainly be a risk, but you know, that's still not good. Like that's not a terrible downside scenario. And I, I think he, you know, he, he was hyper efficient on the outside and in the slot. So the, the other side of this is he's really versatile. He's the type of guy who can move around the formation. If he lands in a good situation, you know, he could be extremely productive because you, you can't scheme for him. It can, it's like the Cooper cup thing where they're going to, where they're going to be able to move him around. This is why I personally prefer Drake London, and maybe it's just because I salivate over the 6'4", 219 body that won't get thrown into the slot. But also, and I don't I don't consider this a red flag, maybe you do, but just to have eight drops on 96 catchable targets last year and the type of targets he's going to see just in having that frame are coin flips, right? It's the it's the Kenny Galladay variable in that. Sure, like you can be a red zone hog. You can get all of the deep targets. But we want our deep targets to have volume as well. Otherwise, it's extremely volatile. Otherwise, you become James Washington as a rotational player, right, on three deep targets per game. And to bring in two or three of those to be 
productive in fantasy is is a tough ask. And so what are your thoughts on Drake London and the red flags we have there? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. Like, how is he going to get his targets? Is it going to uh, translate to the modern NFL game? Dwayne McFarland put out a really good tweet where he was looking at yards per route run uh, using like staple routes. So, you know, kind of the, the classic routes that are most run in the NFL. And that was a red flag for Drake London. Uh, only 16% of his career yards came between 10 and 19 yards downfield. That's the lowest in this class among likely day one and two receivers. You saw a lot of scheme production with him. Uh, 17% of his receiving yards came on screens. So, you know, it's the same type of stuff, I think, with Traylon Burks. Uh, the same type of stuff you're worried about. Like, he's he's very effective downfield. He's very effective short. How is that going to translate uh, to the NFL? Is he going to get potentially pigeonholed? I mean, he was a slot receiver before his eight-game breakout in 2021. Uh, he played 86% of his snaps out wide. In the, basically, he was an ex-wide receiver in 2021, but he played 98% of his snaps in the slot as a freshman and 92% as a sophomore. You have an eight-game sample of him in 2021 being absolutely dominant. But, you know, I kind of prefer the the three-year sample with with Traylon Burks as far as, like, making, you know, kind of pushing my chips in on a, on a volatile bet. Uh, so... London, they're not like stylistically all that similar, I think, but they, I think, have sort of a similar uh, range of outcomes in that, you know, if they're misused, it could get ugly, but they both have a ton of upside because they were they were very effective downfield. Uh, Drake London, awesome in contested catch situations, uh, really strong after the catch, very efficient. So, you know, these guys could hit in uh, in pretty big ways as well. Among their range, we are now also seeing Jameson Williams not only check out for his medical red flags in a positive way, but surging perhaps even into the top 12, top 10, despite his injury just this year and the college playoffs. So I'm curious, do you see any relief, like any help for us in fantasy for Jameson Williams year one? And even if that is not the case, how are you handling him in dynasty leagues and rookie drafts? Jameson Williams, I think, is is one of the more difficult decisions in this class because I think it's a little easier in redraft. Uh, I probably won't, you know, like if it's a non-tournament redraft league, I'm not going to be that interested. I think he'll probably hit waiver wires in those types of leagues because towards ACL, the national championship game, he's not going to he, he's going to have a rough rookie year as far as fantasy goes. Um, if you're looking at like best ball tournaments, uh, you know, that's a little bit more interesting. Because when he gets right, he could be awesome. I mean, he was a very strong prospect. Uh, from a dynasty perspective, it's tough as well because we know that things change dramatically after year one. You know, uh, Kadarius Tony, you know, kind of a rocket ship after he flashed on a pretty small sample and was not a good prospect. But like, I was, you know, decrying the Giants taking Kadarius Tony. He flashes in like under 200 routes. And I'm like, Kadarius Tony looks pretty good. <laughs> like I, I'm kind of in, you know, so it doesn't even take that much to change like a pretty strong prior. If Jamison Williams understandably struggles in his return from an ACL tear, he'll be like, you know, nine months removed from. I'm, I'm kind of skeptical that people are going to take that in stride. So you just have to think about that when you're selecting him in your dynasty league, like, you know, be strong, like hold this guy through a, a rough rookie debut potentially and see it uh, all the way through, you know, the 2023 season. Uh, but, you know, if I'm going to do that, I, I kind of want to discount. So it kind of depends where he lands in dynasty leagues, but incredible prospects just from this past year, breaking out kind of like the Drake London thing where he didn't do a ton. He did less than Drake London in his first two years. He was at Ohio State behind Garrett Wilson, behind Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba was in the wings. He transfers to Alabama and goes off uh, 1,572 yards and 15 touchdowns. What I like is he played 15 games. We've got a much bigger sample than we do with London. Super efficient, 3.12 yards per route run in 2021, way above his teammates. That includes John Mechie, who will probably still be you know around two, maybe around three pick, uh, even after tearing his ACL. So he did have some target competition and still blew it away. Uh, he's a deep threat, 14.8 career, ADOT. Uh, he had 79% of his yardage on targets, 10-plus yards downfield. 
the highest mark among likely day one through two receivers. So there's no doubt about how he's going to be used. Once he's healthy, he's going to be a pure field stretcher. I think he'll be really, really good in that role. Uh, so, you know, he's the type of guy, like if he hadn't gotten hurt, I think he'd be my wide receiver three. Uh, so it just comes down to how much you're factoring in the injury. And, you know, we'll, we'll know more as, as we get closer to the season on that. And if he had not been hurt, he would be the unanimous number one overall wide receiver in this draft. I'm curious for the people you touched on a little bit, drafting in best ball leagues right now, are you willing to throw a dart out there? And if so, what range, what round, around which players, thinking that a la Michael Thomas last year, which backfired, of course, but Thomas was still a sixth round player, right? Even though we knew he was going to miss at least half the season. We knew he'd be out through week eight, through the team's bye, and then perhaps return on Monday night if there was a chance he returned. Let's say we assume Williams can make an impact or be usable in best ball from week 10 on is like, which range are you still then attacking him in? I still want to keep it pretty cheap because he could end up on a team where, you know, he's not going to be all of that, all that expensive post-draft and you're still dealing with all the injury risks at the same time, you know, if you're able to get him, I would say past like the Pickens range, um, that, you know, if he does go to like the Packers or the chiefs, He's going to get way too expensive, you know, for the amount of help he'll just realistically be able to give you. Um, but if you can get some exposure to that at a big discount, uh, that would be pretty nice. So I would say, yeah, about probably after after the pick and I would take him ahead of like Justin Ross easily. But I like even ahead, I wouldn't take him ahead of Sky Moore. I wouldn't, you know, any if he's going around Chris Olave, no, thank you. As you mentioned. He actually is going around Chris Olave. Olave seems to be the player Williams overthrows an expert mocks if he's taken in that top 15 range. And although we believe Olave will get the high draft capital, he's currently listed outside of your top five rookie wideouts for fantasy. So simply put, explain yourself to everyone. Yeah, I, I actually don't, I don't personally view this as very controversial. Uh, Chris Olave, you know, he's, he's six foot 187. He's got four three nine speed. He's like a classic outside deep threat, but he's a four year player. Uh, he was good in college, but but not an incredible production profile. And we just have a, a lot of examples of the four year guys just not being quite as high upside bets as the guys who come out early. Now there is some context with him. I mean, he's playing with Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who I think is going to be the wide receiver one next year. Uh, he also helped keep Jamison Williams on the bench. So in terms of the target competition that he had, I mean, it is kind of that Alabama-esque situation where you want to give him a lot of credit there. Uh, and he will be a first-round pick. But he wasn't that great last year in terms of his production. 22% yardage share, 33% uh, touchdown share, 28% uh, dominated rating, which combines those two that's like not that good for a senior. It, it, it's way below, you know, if, if you're going to come back for your senior year, win the Heisman like uh, Smith did. That's, that's what we want. You don't want, you know, kind of a, a decent season for like a good sophomore wide receiver from, from our, our senior wide receivers here. So it's not that uh, Olave is like a bad wide receiver at all. He's a very good wide receiver. I think he's going to fit into a, an offense. I think there's a chance that, you know, he ends up going to like the Packers or the chiefs, you know, they're looking for guys who can slot in right away. He definitely fits that bill, you know, if he's if he's there for them. Uh, and in that case, I would move him up because I, I do think he's very capable, very competent. And I put in here in, in, in my write up that, you know, we do sometimes get in trouble saying, oh, this guy's safe, but he doesn't have the upside. I mean, that was kind of the Justin Jefferson thing. It's like, oh, he's safe, but, you know, I, I'm going to go for the guys with upsides. <laughs> well, like if a guy is good, and he's a first round pick, he might be really, really good. Like we're not that great at, you know, projecting the range of outcomes. So I don't want to get too carried away with saying he's like a safer guy. But to me, if there's kind of a Justin Jefferson here, it's Garrett Wilson, not Chris Olave. Olave doesn't really check all the boxes the way Justin Jefferson did. He's a four-year player. He disappointed in terms of career production. His efficiency also tailed off as a senior, not just his production. So uh, just feels to me like going to be a very, very solid pro but maybe not like a fantasy superstar. Would 
elite draft capital, elite, magnificent, top 12, shake things up. You mentioned Packers at 22 and 28, Chiefs at 29 being a landing spot. I only asked because underdogs, Josh Norris, last year's historic mock drafter, just ask him, uh, uncovered the nugget that Ron Rivera, rather than sending Carolina's pro scouts, attended just three pro days himself from 2011 on with the Panthers. And that's important because Rivera was spotted at Ohio State's Pro Day this year, then conducted a private interview, not with Garrett Wilson, but with Chris Olave. I understand we have fit concerns with anyone with Carson Wentz, but we also know Carson Wentz and having one year left in Washington taking on the rest of that $28 million, I believe the number is, then he's likely gone at the end of this year. So does something, does capital in that range then forced you to shake things up with a lobby and fantasy. It, it wouldn't, you know, if he was like the uh, the third pick overall or something, then you know at that level you're like, oh man, like every team in the league is just trying to get a hold of this guy. But if like the Commanders like him a lot more than the teams in the 20s, I mean, they, they don't even have to like him a lot more. They just happen to be there, you know. So it's really just at a certain point, I just want the first round draft capital. And if it's, you know, pick 25 or pick 12, I, I don't care too much. We've talked about the most impactful ones. There are a number of receivers in order beyond that, though, who could come off the board in any range, in any handful of numbers. But you confidently have Sky Moore, a candidate that could actually slip into day two, ranked over someone like George Pickens, for instance, who is being taken more seriously in top 30 visits at the end of round one. So what makes you so high on more compared to Pickens? Yeah, I mean, the thing that's exciting about Moore, he's kind of like one of these guys where, you know, like I was worried when I first looked into him, like, is this a Tyler Johnson situation where I'm going to think this guy looks really good and the NFL is going to be like, we want nothing to do with this guy. And then they'll, they'll end up being right. You know, that's how these things go as well. To be fair it, to Tyler Johnson, he did look really good though. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't, he hasn't really looked that good as a pro, but he looked good in college. Oh no, he's been, he's been an awful pro, but in college <laughs> at least he was good. Yeah. He was quite good in college, but draft capital really matters at the wide receiver position. Uh, you know, if the NFL is telling us that these guys aren't that good, they're probably not that good. Uh, with Sky Moore, it's been really nice to see that he is getting some buzz as a late first round guy. You know, there's reports that the Bills really like him. Uh, I think he's more likely a round two guy, but post combine where he had a really strong day, he's not going to fall to the third round. He's going to be a first or second round pick. I think Pickens is also going to be a late first or early second round pick. Uh, and so it really just comes down to, you know, the the metrics on these guys just being much, much stronger for Sky Moore. Uh, very strong in career yardage share. Uh, produced 33% yardage share, which is elite for a three-year wide receiver. Again, kind of the Traylon Burks thing where, you know, 33% would be really, really strong if he had stayed for a senior year where it's easiest to produce. He comes out early, still has that super strong metric. Uh, he was hyper efficient in yards per route run in all three of his college seasons. He had 2.51 yards per route run as a freshman, 2.61 as a sophomore. And then he was elite as a junior with 3.4 yards per route run, 2.92 over his career. Among three-year wide receivers drafted on day one or two since 2017, only Marquise Brown, A.J. Brown, T. Higgins, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, LaVisca Chanel, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddell have a higher career yards per route run. He crushed when, you know, in terms of his efficiency, he's also a guy who I think will slot in immediately with an NFL team. He's versatile. Uh, he played 16% of his snaps in the slot in 2019. Then he transitioned inside for 89% of his snaps in 2020. But in 2021, which is his best season, his slot snaps were down to 35%. So he kind of gets billed sometimes like a slot receiver. And that may be how he starts, but it's similar to Garrett Wilson, where I think he can do both. He's awesome after the catch. Uh, he's got, Really strong production in the intermediate level, 46% of his yardage on targets 10 to 19 yards downfield. That's the highest among 2022's expected draft cap, high draft capital prospects. So, you know, he he looks to me like a guy who's going to hit the ground running, no matter how an NFL team wants to use him. He's got a chance of being of landing on in one of those like, you know, lotto ticket, uh, win, win the lottery spots in the late first round. You know, he ends up, you know, on the Packers or Bills or something. We're going to go nuts. 
And uh, he also, you know, great in intermediate intermediate production. And then like even little things like he has huge hands, which has generally been a, a positive sign in terms of uh, being able to transition to the NFL level. He's got athleticism. So there's, it's really only the draft position with Sky Moore that, that I'm worried about. And the level of competition, he's, he's a, um, he is a uh, non-power five wide receiver. We don't see a ton of guys come into the NFL and really crush from non-power five schools, but we rarely see early declares from non-power five schools. He's going to be the first guy to go day one or two from a non-power five program since Devontae Adams in 2014. So yes, we normally see our wide receiver stars come from power five, but we, we don't, we just rarely see guys like uh, Sky Moore enter the league. So, uh, you know, the only other red flag is downfield ability. Not that great. Only 19% of his career yards coming on deep targets. So he could be a guy who tops out. It's kind of like uh, Robert Woods, a Tyler Boyd. You know, maybe he's not as exciting from a fantasy perspective, but I feel really good about his chances of being like a strong PPR wide receiver very quickly. George Pickens is a little bit more of a home run swing. The thing that Moore doesn't do well, he does really well. He's a downfield guy. Uh, he's got kind of a spotty profile where he he tore his ACL in the spring, entering the 2021 season. Um, and he was able to just get a few games in at the end of the year to show that he was healthy, but then did have a nice day at the combine, 4-4-7-40. So, you know, he look, he's looking like he's he's healthy, he's ready to go. But what we saw in college is a little bit hard to trust because it came on very, very low raw stats. Uh, he really kind of dominated in terms of his touchdown share rather than his yardage share. Touchdown share is obviously going to be a bit more volatile because touchdowns are volatile. Um, but he also just didn't have that many touchdowns or yards. So when you kind of have that in combination, uh, it's a little bit harder to get excited about his profile. Only 727 yards as a freshman in 2019, only 513 in 2020. So we're talking about, you know, things kind of swinging pretty wildly at the margins when you look at um, like yardage share, touchdown share, which are my preferred metrics. But like if you compare him to Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase had a 34% touchdown share as a sophomore. Pickens as a sophomore was at 35%. So he, he had a better touchdown share than Chase, but Chase had 20 touchdowns in 14 games. Pickens scored just six touchdowns in eight games. So to me, he's like potentially a guy who's sort of fooling, fooling the metrics a little bit, or or that's like a risk. Um, and therefore, he does feel like a boom-bust prospect to me. But, you know, a, a, comp, a capable downfield threat who broke out as a freshman does have a high ceiling as well. Let's assume Pickens does go ahead of Sky Moore. Is there anything in his profile that suggests in the underlying stats as well, since, as you mentioned, we have little to work with, really, especially last year with Pickens' production. Anything that suggests he can command targets? Because right now in my early mocks, I do have him as a heavy favorite to the Packers. I think he's one of the players they grab. Not sure if they double dip, honestly. That's something they never really have done. But I think he fits what they typically look for in athleticism. So he had 2.64 yards per route run. Uh, as a freshman, his teammates were far, far worse with just 1.32 combined. And he has a 15.4 career A dot. So to be able to draw targets and get a ton of deep targets, that's a pretty nice combination. They obviously need to replace MVS there in Green Bay. I don't think he's going to like command a ton of targets right away in the shallow and intermediate areas, but he should be able to draw targets deep. Like that's that's his game. He's got the athleticism. I mean, a 4-4-40 at the combine, less than a year removed from an ACL tear, is pretty exciting. He might he might be like a 4-3-9 guy if he's, you know, if 15 months removed from an ACL tear. He had 125-inch broad jump, 33-inch vertical is a minor red flag, but he got that up to 34 and a half inches at his pro day. I think that's fine. Uh, plus, again, you know, uh, less than a year from the ACL tear. So, yeah, I think he can earn targets deep if he lands with a good quarterback, if he lands, you know, kind of in an ideal spot for that, like Green Bay. That's pretty exciting. Around his range, the brown bag also includes Christian Watson. You see a lot at the end of first round mocks for the Chiefs. 
Jahan Dotson is appearing more and more as the process moves on, and David Bell. So go ahead and rank those three for us and tell us why you believe one is higher than the other two. Yeah, if I was drafting these guys, uh, maybe, I, maybe I wouldn't feel this way, but I do have Bell first. Uh, the reason I have Bell first is because we play in PPR leagues for the most part, and even though his athleticism did not come in where we want it, uh, he was highly productive. He did a lot of his damage uh, underneath and not on schemed targets. That's, I think, one thing that's really nice about Bell is that even though we're like, you know, does he have the athleticism? Um, you know, is he going to be just frankly too unathletic to really be much of a, a fantasy guy? The fact that he was able to produce on shallow targets, 37% of his yardage came on targets between zero and nine yards downfield, but that it wasn't schemed up, I think it is a good sign. He's probably going to be able to draw targets pretty easily in the shallow areas of the field. Uh, everyone knew the ball was going to him at Purdue. They fed him targets, a huge, huge target share, huge uh, yardage share type of guy, 28% career yardage share, or 28% yardage share as a freshman, 34% yardage share as a junior with a 31% career yardage share. So he's a really uh, strong kind of underneath guy. And I think does have a pretty high PPR ceiling, even with the the lack of athleticism. I have Christian Watson second, very uh, kind of just a bet on athleticism. You know, he is a raw player. He's a downfield threat. And he was also used underneath a bit uh, in the shallow areas, uh, 15.6 career ADOT, super athletic. There's just no doubt about how you're going to use him. But for fantasy, this is kind of a classic boom bust type. And the boom might not be super, super huge. Uh, he did not really produce until he was a fifth-year senior in the FCS. He was not very efficient. Even when he was playing with Trey Lance, he didn't stand out above his teammates, which I think is a pretty bad sign. I mean, I like to look at teammate competition a lot. I think that context is really important. But he wasn't beating teammates who like Phoenix Sproles and Jimmy Kapuros had similar yards per outrun to Christian Watson when he was playing with Trey Lance. Like if Trey Lance isn't elevating you in the FCS beyond your teammates, to me, that's a major red flag. Uh, you know, so, yes, he, he does have a high ceiling as an athlete, but I think there's kind of discount versions of him available in this draft class. I think Alec Pierce is a pretty similar type of guy that you can get later in the draft. Uh, Jahan Dotson, he's five foot 178. He's like, I think probably a Darnell Mooney type, uh, maybe an Eddie Royal type. I don't actually think he's a deep threat. I think he's going to be kind of more of an intermediate type of guy. Um, and so it's a little bit tough for me to get super excited about him from a fantasy perspective as well. But he's probably the guy where you're like, you know, maybe if you're an NFL team, you're like, we, he's got speed. We can, we can use him deep. Uh, he should be like a competent number two or number three wide receiver. I would totally get why a team might want to draft him ahead of a David Bell, but for fantasy purposes, I mean, David Bell has a much stronger chance of racking up catches, I think. So Bell, Watson, Dotson, according to their profiles. And then for fantasy, how are you treating them? Well, Bell has been really nice for fantasy post uh, him not <laughs> testing well. <clears throat> you can get him very, he's very going late. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can get it. I mean, like in the Superflex best ball leagues, uh, you can get him in like the 17th round, 18th round. I mean, he's like, he's basically free. So I've been taking him again. Uh, I had Hayden Winks on a good football show, and he was he was uh, co-signing that, that, you know, you want the discount on Bell, but we want to scoop up the discount now that it's here. Um, again, I think he's, he's like a PPR guy. He's like a potential Jarvis Landry type of guy, um, you know, Calvin Ridley was also quite unathletic. Like the 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 um, lack of athleticism that he showed isn't a deal breaker if we're just looking for a guy who's going to probably be like a big slot type. Uh, Jahan Dotson is a bit too expensive for me. I haven't been taking a ton of him. Christian Watson, I feel the same. Like I, I would rather take Alec Pierce. I would rather take Jalen Tolbert at their prices. Like if I'm just betting on, you know, a guy who's kind of a raw deep threat. Uh, I think there's other options in this class, in, in the rookie class from a fantasy perspective, uh, rather than chasing up Christian Watson. And 
Dotson, I, I think there's probably a better case for Dotson because if he lands in the late first round, it, it might be in a really good situation, then he could get very expensive. So uh, I do I do think it makes sense to mix him in. I also find it very sexy when anyone, including you, uses comps like Jarvis Landry because that's how we should be coughing our players. Uh, I've heard Devontae Adams for David Bell just because David Bell's lack of athleticism but commanding targets. I've heard Mike Evans, a first ballot Hall of Famer, even if he retired right now, compared to Drake London. And although that does make sense for the big body and just his catching prowess, uh, I don't like it when we compare players to Hall of Famers. It's okay to use Peter Warwick, Jarvis Landry as our comps, <laughs> guys who carve out like amazing eight to 11 year careers in the NFL. It's a, it's a success, by the way, just to be in the NFL. They don't always have to be Hall of Fame comps. Well, here's some comps that you'll enjoy then. I did include as, oh, as baby, some sort go. of downside comps for David Bell, Ruben Randall, Mohamed Sanu, yep. Dante Moncrief. How are those comps? All viable you? fantasy <laughs> players for us at one point too, in yeah. a redraft leagues. Yeah. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster is another guy for me that, that he could end up kind of playing a similar kind of big slot role too. He's going to be a Chiefs Hall of Famer, so we're not worried about that. You mentioned other players you would draft over Christian Watson. Uh, who are those other players you're high on if someone's looking to get an ADP advantage in their early rookie startups or best ball leagues right now? Yeah, to be clear, I would take them over Watson at cost. I think Watson, like I would take Watson ahead of these guys, but um, yeah, I really like, uh, so Alec Pierce, I'll start with, he's, I don't love Alec Pierce, but like the price is appropriate for what you're getting. He's six foot three. 211. He's going to be a one-dimensional outside deep threat. He kind of profiles profiles like uh, Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Uh, the the like mega mega upside comp would be Terry McLaurin, but he could be like kind of a, a Martavis Bryant type of dude. I mean, he had a 17.1 a dot in his final season, 16.8 for his career. Like, there is no doubt about how he's going to be used. He's very athletic. Uh, 44140, 129-inch broad jump, awesome 40 and a half inch vert. He was terrific in yards per target, 11.1 over his career. Uh, he falls short in a number of other metrics, but that was one of the key indicators for Terry McLaurin uh, that he crushed in yards per target. He didn't earn targets, neither of them did at a at a high rate, but uh, you know, maybe he ends up in a better situation with a more willing deep ball passer. So I think Alec Pierce in a good situation is pretty interesting. Uh, I think Jalen Tolbert is also very interesting. And Tolbert, sorry to cut you off, also has been getting some steam lately as a top 30 visit into first round guy. I was kind of back and forth for a while as to where to put Tolbert in my ranks. I ended up having him pretty high. I had him wide receiver 10. He's a little bit tough to figure out because he's a fifth-year senior. He's old, uh, but he did have a breakout as a redshirt sophomore. Uh, raw stats weren't amazing, but you know he had a, a 27% yardage share, 43% touchdown share. So you know, legit breakout as an underclassman. Very strong numbers from a career perspective. Again, you you really do want to see that because he's a fifth-year senior, but. The guys who have stayed in school and been hyper-productive, we do have a better track record for them. Uh, he was awesome in his final year. He was really, really efficient in his final season. And we know how he's going to be used. He's a downfield guy. Uh, he had uh, an ADOT of 17.9 in 2019 in his breakout season. Uh, he had a 42% dominated rating with a 17.1 ADOT in 2020 and led the nation with 39 deep targets. And then in 2021, he was used a little bit more shallowly with a 14.2 a dot, but still was fourth in the nation with 37 deep targets. So it's a guy who can command targets and he can command deep targets. There are definitely some red flags with him. Uh, he wasn't efficient until he was an upperclassman. You know, you don't love to see that because it's like it's not really a level playing field. And then all of a sudden he's efficient against younger guys. His raw speed isn't ideal. A 44940. He's only 194 pounds, so it would be a lot more comfortable to project him as a deep threat. If he had like a four, four or lower, uh, doesn't give him a ton of margin for error. You know, with this speed, I'd rather have him be like two ten or something, but still we know he's going to be used downfield and he's just a lot cheaper. You, know, you can, he's the guy that you can get in like the last round of these 
Um, I'm, I'm often deciding between him and Alec Pierce trying to mix it up a little bit. And for me, if I'm going with that type of profile, I do want to keep it cheap because you're kind of hoping for like a few spike weeks type of thing. Um, and I know Watson does have a bit more of a ceiling where, you know, maybe he's used on some more design stuff because he's going to come with draft capital. But uh, he also has a pretty low floor, you know, just kind of being an older guy who wasn't all that productive. So I'm getting the same thing in Tolbert, except he was productive. It's going to have worse draft capital, but he's way, way less expensive in these drafts. Is Tolbert the individual you find yourself leaving every second round, last round of rookie drafts with right now and into best ball leagues? Or is there another individual, in particular in best ball, who we expect we may need later on for a late run in the fantasy playoffs? Is that uh, is there another player you also find yourself taking in every draft? Well, so I haven't been, uh, I haven't had done any rookie drafts yet, um, but Tolbert, I do yeah. think will probably be. And I was talking with you behind the scenes too, in that it seems like everyone this year has taken two different approaches, knowing that best ball season has heated up the past few years. And so everyone either saved their mental health and sat out best ball leagues until post draft, still sitting it out, right? Or, in the case, what I did, I did sit out early, but I just recently started. I also know some people, like our friends at Spike Week, Eric Pineport and others, uh, they also got dirty early, and now they're sort of sitting back just a bit, and they're going to hit it hard after the draft in a couple weeks with everyone else as well. So it is interesting to see what everyone's doing and their approach they're taking now. Yeah, I think, like, one guy, if, the, if these leagues were a bit deeper, I think uh, Khalil Shakir would be the guy that I would just hammering because – uh, he's like totally, totally free. Uh, he's, he's a really nice yards after catch play. Who's probably going to be like a shallow type of receiver, but he could be kind of like, uh, like a Cecil shorts. That's a, that's a nice realistic comp. Maybe a Deontay Johnson. Very good comp. Um, Cecil so shorts I, had one good season. So yeah, that's a very good. That's comp. all we need. That's all we need. If it's this year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's kind of interesting, but honestly, as far as like the really inexpensive guys go, Bell. David Bell's that guy right now where it's just for like the upside that, you know, he could come in as a third round pick and he looks like other guys who've come in as a third round pick and been just fine. You know, yes, the athleticism stinks, but you know, can he, can he like do enough of this, you know, five yards downfield to get open? I, I don't know that like the athleticism is going to crush him there. Pretty similar to Jarvis Landry, pretty similar to Cooper cup. Cooper Cup for 6240, 31-inch vertical, 116-inch broad jump. Not that different than what Bell showed. So um, the price has come so far down on him. Kind of like a reverse if you're doing like rookies and sophomores type of stuff. I mean, where people were drafting Bell there, you know, or any of these tournaments that have been open a little bit, the pre-draft tournaments, people have expensive Bell. So if you're getting cheap Bell, you know, that that's kind of nice. Um, and then Sky Moore. Sky Moore, I'm just, uh, I'm just prioritizing because I think he's going to be really good. You can't give the entire recipe away, I know, because it's still in the oven. But in just releasing your running back rookie rankings, we all know Brees Hall. We all know Kenneth Walker. What other running backs, whether it be the number three off the board or later on, do you think everyone should know about as well? Yeah, I think uh, there's a very clear consensus here that it's those two top guys. And I think, you know, that's that's warranted. For me, the, the third guy is Rashad White. Uh, you're betting on his receiving production, which is elite. Uh, one of only six drafted prospects with a career yards per hour run of 2.3 or better since 2015. The other five, Christian McCaffrey, Kenyon Drake, Alvin Kamara, Kenneth Gainwell, and Joe Mixon. And then we only have a two-game sample of David Johnson, but he had an absurd yards per hour run in that sample. So he, you know, kind of in that mix as well. So when you get these guys who are very, very efficient in their receiving ability and he has size, he's 217 pounds, you know, and he's pretty athletic. So he's sufficient in some of the other stuff I look at, you know, he was decent at breaking tackles and yards after contact. He was decent in terms of delivering long runs, not amazing, but not, but like well above bad. Um, and he was fairly productive. He only had uh, one really strong season. It was it a power five season, but he's a Juco transfer, didn't play a ton in his first year, uh, and then just kind of goes off uh, in his second year uh, at Arizona State. So he's, I think, a high upside bet, but also 
not a low floor bet because worst case scenario is probably like slotting in as, you know, a fairly usable like Buck Allen type. You know, that's not that exciting, but I don't think he's going to completely wash out because he's a very, very strong receiver. So I have him wide receiver or sorry, running back three right now. And then the other guy that's really uh, caught my eye is Tyler Algier, who is at BYU. Pin me against the corner and made me draft in the last round of a never too early best ball league last night. Yeah. (laughs) I also pinned you against the corner and made you draft in the first place. You're trying to preserve your mental health. (laughs) <laughs> but I did pin you back and make you draft Zeke, so it's okay. That's true. Yeah, I uh, I had some payback with uh, Tyler Algier, who is a big back. He's five foot eleven, two twenty four. Not all that impressive in terms of his uh, athleticism. Four six forty, thirty three inch vert, one hundred twenty inch broad jump. It's fine. It's not bad, but it's not great. Seven point zero nine three cone. Okay, you know not doing a ton for you, but not necessarily a red flag. Kind of looks like a TJ Yeldon or a Royce Freeman when you look at his athleticism. So that that's not very fun. But his breakaway ability was pretty intriguing. 44% breakaway percentage over his four-year career. Uh, he had 41 breakaway yards per game, which ranks 69th percentile among running backs weighing at least 220 pounds. Uh, Only seven finished with a better breakaway percentage and breakaway yards per game. They were Saquon Barkley, Rashad Penny, Joe Mixon, Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, Darius Geis, and Deontay Foreman. He's going to be able to move, and he's big. And he did really, really well in elusiveness. Over his last two seasons, he absolutely crushed in, uh, if you look at elusive rating, but per game instead of uh, per touch. Only Jonathan Taylor, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, Kareem Hunt, and Devin Singletary were better than Algier was in his final two seasons. Now, the big red flag here is that he didn't play much as a freshman, and then they converted him to linebacker. Like, when your coaches think you're not a running back, you're a linebacker, that's probably a bad sign. But then he comes back and just crushes as a running back for two years. So the ceiling is there. The floor is that he's like literally not a running back. The 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 ceiling though is what we want to go for here because I think he's going to be pretty cheap in rookie drafts. I mean, we were getting him in the 19th round of a best ball draft. I think you're going to be able to I graded him as a as a rookie second round pick, but I think he's probably going to go maybe as like a early third round pick in rookie drafts. And so the the downside risk is basically nothing. I mean, those picks aren't worth much. You want to swing for the fences and I do think he is a swing for the fences type of play because not only is he a pretty effective rusher who's going to you know have some big play potential, but he was a competent receiver. He's not going to be like an incredible receiver, but he's a guy who kind of stays in on all three downs, like you know, like kind of a David Montgomery or something. Um, you know, he could totally be that guy based on what he showed in college, a sufficient level of receiving efficiency. I was going to make that the last question, but now you have me interested for one more. Is there a receiving back like that, unlike Algier, maybe the answer is Algier, that you think could respond in like the right fit or that has a redraft role in being drafted? Because right now, you know, you mentioned Rashad White and Algier, but I'm struggling to find anyone else. Like I keep mentioning James Cook as a top five back, if only because he's the one that also is being somewhat teased at the end of the first round. I still don't think we'll get there. The actual NFL prop is over a half of running back drafted, not just half a body, but one or none will be drafted at all. And typically that's been rumored as either Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker. But is there another like terrific receiving profile, even if it's like Duke Johnson that we should be aware of? There really isn't. I mean, Algiers even not, he's not terrific receiving profile. Uh, but he's just kind of got a decent all-around profile. James Cook is the closest thing. Uh, he was 1.92 yards per outrun, which is very good, but not off the charts. I mean, not near the the Rashad White level, not near like a Chase Edmonds. He's also – I struggle with him if he's more of like, you know, kind of an Edo Smith type or a Michael Carter type or Chase Edmonds type, you know, rather than like a Naheem Hines. So – and that's fine, right? Like, you know, if if he's going to be used as like more of a committee back who can also catch the ball in the right situation, that's great. But it could also be bad in the wrong situation, like a Keyshawn Vaughn or something. You kind of get relegated to backup duty if you don't do anything 
so good that you force your way onto the field. And I do worry that he's not so good as a receiver that he's forcing his way on right away as a third down back. And it kind of has to work his way in more like a traditional running back. But if he gets the draft capital, then that's a lot easier to see how he does that. Cause the team, the team is sort of, sort of counting on him to do that. So if he was like an early second round pick or something, I do think James Cook is pretty interesting. Until then, we only have Brees Hall's 27 catcher season to depend on in hopes that he lands either with the Bills or another team that would use him wisely. Uh, Pat, tell everyone where they can find your receiver and rookie rankings as we speak. NBC Sports Edge, uh, the former home of, of one Mr. John Daigle. Uh, all of all of that stuff is there. And uh, the running back rankings came out today. Those are hot off the presses. Uh, got one through five out. I will have the rest of the running back rankings out tomorrow. So look for those. The wide receiver rankings are in three parts, and they're all up on the site right now. And I will promote it for you on your behalf that we also did a best ball mock on ship chasing. So mock. check that out. That's for real out. money, buddy. That's, You're right. Uh, it was a, a, real a real money 125 FFPC tournament. And just seeing the ADP, the big board on April 6th when we did it, that was interesting as well because you get to see the Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle fallouts. And that's what I've been curious on since Underdog continues with the super flex drafts until they drop the big million, probably draft weekend. We don't have confirmation, but probably draft weekend. A lot of talk, a lot of talk about that. Right now, if you sign up at Underdog as a new subscriber, not only will you receive a free pro subscription to 4 for 4 with access to all of our off-season content, including our around-the-clock Discord conversations, Underdog will also match your deposit up to $100 by 100%. Literally mirror it. And there are no catches. Just download the Underdog app, use the promo code 4 for 4 when depositing. That's the number 4, word, the number again, and presto, 